Welcome to Thermochromia. This is Cricket, and welcome back for, I guess this is week two of the podcast. Uh, we actually didn't have a podcast last week because we had some, uh, I had some issues, um, some people fell through, and it was just a whole big thing, and, you know, I definitely apologize for anybody who was listening and, you know, desperately hoping for that second, uh, that second episode, but here we are, we're back. I'm so glad that you came back to listen to uh, to me and, and talking to my guest about um, ADHD, about mental illness, about these disorders that are in our lives, and how the way we were raised kind of affects all of that. And I apologize if you're hearing my dog in the background. Um, he is uh, has decided that now is the best time for him to be loud, so that's awesome. Uh, but anyway, we're going to get through this podcast today. Um, I have a great guest. Um, her name is Rebecca. And uh, we're going to be talking with Rebecca about um, kind of her life and how um, her past has affected her present and uh, how um, everything has worked from the way she was raised when she was very young all the way up till now, how it, um, how the way she was raised affects her, her um, um, brands of mental illnesses, uh, that sort of thing. So, you know, let's get right into it and uh, we'll get Rebecca on the phone. Rebecca, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine, and I, I'm I'm hoping our listeners can hear you loud and clear. So I hope so. <laughs> so let's start this out the right way. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, give your name, your pronouns, um, what you do, and uh, you know, kind of your various brands of you know what we call mental spiciness here on Thermochromia. Okay, my name is Rebecca Newton. I uh, My pronouns are she, her. Um, I am a full-time student. And as for brands of spiciness, well, we could be here all day. But just to make it quick, <laughs> we have ADHD, we have anxiety, we have PTSD, we have bipolar disorder, which used to be called manic depressive and is not any longer. Um... You sound, you sound like me. I think you, that like, about covers it. <laughs> like everything that you have, I have, or were we separated at birth? <laughs> uh, you know, it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, here's a question that I like to ask all of my guests. Um, it's just kind of a, a nice little icebreaker question, and, and I want everybody to, you know, feel comfortable um, in these interviews. But we know that a lot of neurodivergent people have issues with food. Uh, what is one, I'm, I'm not sure what you're doing, but there's a lot of feedback on the, on the phone. Um, but we, oh, know, sorry. That's okay. we know that there's a lot of neurodivergent people that have issues with food. Uh, what is one food that you hated as a kid, but you eat now or that you can absolutely not eat because of texture? Oh gosh. Okay. Um, Well, of course, I had an answer, and then you asked me, and now I have no idea what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, look, it's ADHD making its making its appearance on the it, show. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't take my pill today, so that probably makes it worse. <laughs> um, well, what good what kind grief? Of, okay, what kind of foods do you like? Let's let's start there. What, let's start easy. What what did you hate as a kid, but but maybe that you like now? Like for me, it's hamburgers. I, I I want to like hamburgers so much, but I like I can't eat them because of the texture. So that's the thing that I wish that I liked that I'm not able to like right now. Uh, you know, I'm honestly not sure. I mean, outside of a well done steak, because I can't eat that. It's like trying to chew shoe leather. Oh man, yeah. Well <laughs> my dad. Yeah. 
My well, dad well used done, to eat well done steaks. Well done steak is an affront to God and man. And, and, and it really know, is. It, it's awful. <laughs> it is. You should go straight to jail. For I, I 100% agree with you. Straight yeah. to jail. <laughs> um, gosh, food. It, I'm not sure that there's any one thing that I ate as a kid that I don't eat now. Mm-hmm. Simply because we had... They, I, there wasn't... <laughs> My parents, for all of their good intentions, were not the greatest with diets. So, you know, food was never exactly healthy growing up. I mean, I remember sitting down with my parents for dinner and my dad would eat Hershey Kisses out of the jar and my mom would eat a bag of peanut M&M's and that was food. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, probably vegetables. I don't think I ever ate a Brussels sprout growing up. And I see you, um, you, you kind of had the opposite of what I had because my mother was a stay-at-home mother and was determined that we were going to eat healthy all the time. Um, oh, yeah. No, my mom was where, not. <laughs> yeah. Like, we didn't have white bread in the house until I was a teenager. That kind of thing. Oh, goodness. Um, okay. So, caffeine-free Diet Coke. My mom used to drink that. She did every diet from Atkins to, you know, um, oh my gosh, Richard Simmons to Jenny Craig to Weight Watchers, she Fen Fen, everything. Mm-hmm. My mom was, was very much a dieter. So all of the brands of diet food were in the house and caffeine-free Diet Coke was, oh, that is, the, I will never, ever touch that again because that was all we had in the house for a while. I, I'm sure my. But kids, that was the most ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sure that my kids probably feel that way about Diet Dr Pepper because that's all I drink. <laughs> Diet Dr Pepper. Yeah, but Dr. I, Pepper I mean, Zero. I imagine. I imagine Dr Pepper Zero or Diet Dr Pepper probably wouldn't taste as bad as <laughs> caffeine-free Diet Coke. Well, see, I'm not a Coke fan anyway, so I, like, I'll drink. Mm, Diet We were Coke, not separated just, at birth. <laughs> like I'm not. Like I don't. I'll drink Diet Coke if I if it's the only thing that I have, but I don't like the taste of Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't care for, I just I just don't care for Coke products. It's just one of those things. Yeah, and see, I grew up on Coke products, so <laughs> that's all my mom had. And Well, yeah, yeah, that's all we had. Well, see, we weren't, we weren't allowed <laughs> to, um, we weren't allowed to have sodas for a long time when I was a kid. Uh, my parents mellowed, oh. mellowed out as we got older, but yeah, we had like water, milk, and tea, and that was pretty much it in my house. Uh, very, very strict. My daddy was from Alabama, and my mom was born in Erie, so daddy liked sweet tea. Well, he put sugar in unsweetened tea, mm-hmm. but my mom never had tea in the house. We had a lot of crystal light. Mm-hmm. We did crystal light as well. Because that was... Yeah, that was about the closest thing to tea my dad was allowed to have. Because <laughs> mom said, I don't want tea in my house. Oh, my gosh. He barely got away with his grits. <laughs> my parents uh, drink so much tea, it's not even funny. And that and that, that even knowing that it's not the healthiest drink in the world, they still drink it. They're like, no, we have to have tea. That's not sweet tea because yeah. my, my dad is a diabetic, so he can't have sweet tea. But, man, he will he will drink him some regular tea. Yeah. My parents, my mom was diabetic. Um, dad wasn't, but mom was. So it, food growing up was just weird. Mm-hmm. 
it was so because on the one hand, mom was you know trying all these diets, and on the other hand, it was like peanut M Ms for dinner. <laughs> oh, okay, great. It's like oh, fun, fun. This great. Is, this is fun. This is yeah. Great. <laughs> Maybe that's why you need to be on a diet. Sure. You're eating peanut M Ms for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately, she gained. She had a really difficult pregnancy. She gained a lot of weight when she was pregnant with me. And then she developed diabetes during it. Mm-hmm. And then she just could never get the weight off. Yeah. And it was just, it was yo-yo diet after yo-yo diet. And the fen fen destroyed her heart. Oh, my God. So, well, see, yeah. I, I gained, that, I gained, that's actually wound up killing her. <laughs> I gained a ton of weight with my second one. And mm-hmm. it all pretty much came off. But I gained it all back after I stopped nursing. And when it came back, it came back with friends. And then at that point, I was at the point where I started to try to lose it again. You know, I did pretty good for a while, but then I got on, um, I was diagnosed with bipolar uh, and got on Mm -hmm. on mood stabilizers. And one of the side effects, unfortunately, of mood stabilizers is sometimes is weight gain. And that was, that was what happened in my case um, is I I ended up gaining like 50 pounds and I still haven't lost it. But weirdly, because of therapy, don't feel bad about it, which is kind of awesome. (laughs) Hey, I mean, I'll take it. (laughs) It's kind of a weird result, you know, because when I, when I had, because I had, growing up, I had an eating disorder and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I switched that out in my twenties or in my thirties for a workout disorder, which is always fun. And, uh, so I ended up losing like a whole bunch of weight and turn, you know, you know, my, my whole body was just muscle and I was looking good and everything else. And then I got into therapy and I was like, oh, well, what I see in the mirror is actually okay. And then I got comfortable enough with myself that I just started gaining weight. (laughs) Yeah. And And then it's like, all right, you know what? We're just going to go round and round. (laughs) So somewhere at some point I will be happy. And that's about the all of there is. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, I'm kind of working toward is just, you know, I just want to be happy in the skin that I'm in. I want to quit trying to change it. I want to quit trying to do all this mess to it. And, you know, just, I just, you just need to be happy in the skin you're in. And I've been working very hard in therapy to, to get to that point. Yeah. My goal is happy and healthy. One thing that I do want to caution anybody who has listened this far and realized that I have not given a disclaimer Everything that we say about mental illness on this show is an opinion. I am not a therapist. I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a doctor. My experience comes from having mental illnesses and comes from having my own mental illnesses treated. So I can only give you the perspective on treatment from my point of view. And I believe Rebecca is in the same situation where she is not a mental health professional. So anything that comes out of her mouth just just understand we're speaking from our own experiences here. We're not speaking as medical professionals. No, not yet. Working towards it, but not yet. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. So, um, let's get, let's get to talking a little bit about, um, you know, your childhood, your past, how you were raised. Um, were you in a high control environment? And if so, how did that, um, how did that affect your mental illnesses, uh, did it delay you getting to, uh, diagnosed? Uh, did it speed it up? Did it, you know, just kind of give me a little background <sighs> on your story. Okay. So I feel like this should come with a disclaimer of its own, um, because it's, it's pretty difficult all around. Um, 
my mother divorced my sperm donor when I was like three. Mm-hmm. And because of the circumstances, she took me and left state. Um, wow. So, yeah, there was um, there was some strictness as far as growing up, but it wasn't. Even as a child, I saw the limitations. Okay, sorry about that, guys. I had to edit a little bit because we had kind of a major technical glitch. I definitely apologize about that. But, Rebecca, uh, go on back with your story. All right. So, my mom took me out of state. I was, I honestly don't remember how old I was. I was probably three, maybe four. We went live with my grandparents. Um, so, the there was definitely a lot of strictness around my growing up, but it wasn't necessarily, like, I never really felt like it was there to stop me from doing things. I always saw it as there to keep things from happening. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's a pretty major distinction, even as a kid, to see that. Um, now, describe what you mean. Well, so, I mean, I was a latchkey kid. You know, every kid from the 80s was a latchkey kid. But I had to call my mom like every hour Mm -hmm. and if there was any strange you get the mail but if there was anything addressed to me I had to give it to her first Mm -hmm. um you know I had to I wasn't allowed to answer the phone I couldn't answer the phone if the phone rang um because we didn't know who was going to be on the other end all of our phone numbers were always unpublished you know nobody was allowed to have our like later do my mom first Mm -hmm. which isn't you know, necessarily a normal thing because you would think, okay, well, I-, I can give my phone number out to my friends, but I couldn't. You know, we had to be very careful because we didn't know who was feeding information. Mm-hmm. It was it was a very nasty, very nasty divorce with a lot of abuse thrown in, required a whole lot of court cases and many, 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 many years of therapy. Oh, wow. So it just, yeah, it was, it was not a good situation to be in. Um, so I, I never really felt like the rules that were put in place as I was growing up were to corral me until I hit probably 12 or 13, which is, you know, 11, 12 ish is about when things start not making sense anymore. <sighs> and in, in what way did they not make sense to you? Like, what were you seeing that was just kind of out of the norm for you? Well, I started getting irritated that I, I couldn't give my phone number to my friends. I had to ask my mom, you know, hey, can I give my phone number to this person? Or, you know, this person wants me to come over, you know, and we've been friends with this person for probably three or four years. I've been in the same school, same class, you know, whatever. And even if my mother had spoken to their parents a million times, it was, well, I have to talk to their parents. Yeah, but mom, you, you just talked to her mom last week. Like <laughs> what, what's changed? Um, I didn't do a whole lot of sleepovers. I wasn't allowed to go to sleepovers a lot. Um, 
my mom, I, I have recently found this out, kind of breaks my heart, but my mom was not seen as a loving person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess when I hit about 11, 12 is when I really started noticing that her mental health was, well, I didn't know that then, but she was always angry. She was always, you know, on edge, just never really happy. And it, it became a time of tiptoe and sneak around behind mom's back because I can't really ask mom anything. She's angry all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously now as an adult with various stages of mental spiciness, I look back and I realize that she was dealing with her own demons. But, you know, of course, as a kid, you don't see that. All you see is mom's pissed off all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, mom, mom doesn't want to do this or mom doesn't want to do that. Or, you know, we can't go on vacation because mom's always working. She buried herself in her work. And I started getting irritated with that. And I started, you know, looking for attention any way I could. Mm-hmm. And what, and said, what I mean, form did that take for you? Because I know it can take a lot of different forms for different people. But um, what was that attention seeking? What did that look like to you? Um, I started lying to her a lot. Um, at first it was like stupid stuff, you know. Um, did you walk at all? Yeah, I did. No, you really didn't, but okay. You know, um, did you run the dishwasher? Yeah, I did. No, no, I didn't. And then it turned into, um, you know, did you do your homework? Yeah, I did. No, no, I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. And it, it just kind of, it kind of went from there to, I started, um, I was really not doing well in school, which had been odd for me because, you know, I was, according to my mother, off the charts intelligent. Um, she had actually had me tested for Mensa when I was a child, but I got irritated with them and refused to do the test, apparently. <laughs> um, but... I just, I started failing classes. I didn't want to do any of my schoolwork. You know, I would, I I saw my friends stealing stuff from like the grocery stores. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, hey, that's, you know, okay. So I started stealing little shit like chapstick or package of candy or whatever I mean just really stupid stupid stuff Mm -hmm. and I mean yeah it got my mom's attention but (laughs) 10 out of 10 do not recommend doing that (laughs) didn't work out as well as you thought it would huh no no not exactly (laughs) it was uh it was yeah that was not fun now, at what point in your life uh, did you kind of realize that you've got some stuff going on that maybe you need professional help with? Was that something that was kind of reflected onto you from your mother, or um, how did that work for you? I had been in therapy for a pause. I go. So I had been in therapy since... I don't even think there was a time remember that I wasn't in therapy for a long time. And that was just really to help me get through all of the issues that I had dealing with the divorce and all the stuff that came with it. 
Um, and so I, when my mom found out that I was and lying and whatnot, she found a different type of counselor to kind of, you know, take over where my old one couldn't anymore because I wasn't a itty bitty child. And that worked, <clears throat> excuse me, that worked for a short time. Um, but even then I, I wasn't really honest with her, I guess. Mm -hmm. So it didn't necessarily work. So the mental spiciness didn't come in play with a name until I was 16, 17. Mm -hmm. and, and that was after a lovely two-year jaunt in boarding school. That that was it was a lovely vacation. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you feel comfortable talking about that, or would you prefer to kind of keep that, you know, to yourself? It <sighs> boarding school was hell. Mm -hmm. An apt description for an independent Baptist boarding school that preached brimstone and hellfire and yet treated their students like less than is really the only thing I can think to say mm -hmm. is, is less than um, they were mentally abusive they were physically abusive their their favorite thing they they had a paddle and uh, it was probably just, just real quick trigger warnings for anybody that's coming up here yeah you might want to fast forward through um a little bit of this um if you don't want to hear uh, about uh physical abuse or anything like that so trigger warnings trigger warnings go ahead yes lots of them um, they, they had a paddle that was probably 18 inches long, about an inch and a half thick and mm, maybe about two inches wide. And that was their favorite. Uh, they called them SWATs. And if you were out of line in any way, shape or form, you started with 10. Mm-hmm. And it would just go up from there. Oh, my God. It was. You don't <sighs> you don't do that to correct a child. You do that because you're you're getting off on causing that child harm. And that's that's gross. It was very. Uh, I, like, I can't even think like, it was just. What's the, the best? It, they. When the owners, for me, for me personally, this is not the story that many of the other girls had. But for me personally, when the owners were in charge, 
it was nowhere near as bad. But when their daughter and her husband took over, their daughter was just a mean, horrid, nasty woman. She just, she had no, no sympathy. She was just angry at the world. No sympathy, no empathy, no, no anything. If you weren't one of her little pets, God help you. Oh my God. And she said to me the very first day I was there, I was 13. And I was so excited because my best friend had gone to a boarding school. And, you know, being 13, you have to outdo your best friend. That's just how it is. So my mom told me that she had found a boarding school for me. And this was because of the lying and the stealing and the whatnot. And she was like, you know, it'll, it'll help you and you'll be able to... Grow and learn. I'm like, okay. So I we, we drive there. And mind you, this is <laughs> out literally in the middle of nowhere. Outside of a teeny little town in Missouri called Poplar Bluff. Mm-hmm. The, the, the town name was, I think, like Patterson or something like that. Um. I, I still, even when I see the name Papa Bluff on a map, I start shaking because, no, I don't ever want to deal with that again. But we showed up there, and they had Rottweilers. Mm-hmm. And I had left a Rottweiler of my own at home, and I was so excited because they had Rottweilers. I thought, how bad can this place be? If they have Rottweilers, you know? Like, how bad could they possibly be? And so, you know, I'm, I'm standing out front, and my mom had looked at the clothing guideline, you know, their, their clothing standards. Mm-hmm. And we had gone shopping and picked out, you know, a bunch of different stuff. And... Mind you, we probably shopped at the hospice thrift store, which for a 13-year-old, can you imagine how that looked? Mm -hmm. Somewhere I have pictures. (laughs) But we, I'm standing out there and I'm I'm playing with these dogs and I'm thinking, this isn't going to be bad. They have dogs. How bad can this be? Mm -hmm. Because to me, that's all that mattered. You know, they have dogs. Dog people are good people, right? Right. You know, that, that was my thought. And we, they, they separated me from my parents and I went downstairs into one of the dorms to talk with other students about the whole experience, you know, Mm -hmm. and my mom and dad, I guess, were in the office signing paperwork or whatnot. And... They came back downstairs, 
And they were like, oh, well, you know, we're, we're going to go now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, you know, because I knew, obviously I knew I was staying there, but I was starting to get a little freaked out because, I, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm looking at these girls and some of them aren't, they, like, they wouldn't even make eye contact. They're not even looking up. You know, and they're, they're, some of them are, are standing there and they're silent and it, they're, they're just existing. And the looks on their faces was, I don't even know how to describe it. But I'm like, you know, we'll give it a try, right? You know, we'll give it the old college try. And my mom and I had worked out a, a password, a secret phrase that if I felt something was wrong that I could use that phrase and my mom would come pick me up. And excuse me. Um, and so it, it we didn't have cats at the time. So my mom told me if you feel like something's wrong Ask me about the cat. And I'm thinking, okay. Well, to my brain, I don't even, I don't know how or why I thought this. But I never, I never used that phrase. And I really should have. But I was such a people pleaser. I I was still searching for that acceptance and attention that I never used that phrase. Because I didn't want to waste my parents' money. I wanted to be the person I wanted. I didn't want them to lose out because I had, I'd use the phrase. Yeah, I can understand you wanting to make sure that your parents were taken care of and that you weren't the cause of anything Yeah, toward them. Um, so I, I stayed there for two years. And during that two years, I cannot count the number of SWATs that I got. But I can tell you exactly the first time. And I had only been there not even 24 hours. And right before we had left for Missouri, like the day before, I had gotten my hair cut. And... My or maybe it was the week before. I'm not sure. My mom had bought me the shampoo that they had used, and that shampoo also doubled as like a conditioner and a body wash. You know, a, a three in one that is not uncommon today, but in the mid '90s was not necessarily a thing that people really knew about. 
Man, it's all over. They got five in one now. Have you seen that stuff? Yeah. It's like, come on. How, how many in ones are we going to have? It? We're going to have 12 in one, 100 in one. <laughs> Does everything. Yeah, pretty much. Wipes your butt for you. Um, so I used it as a body wash. I used it as my shampoo. And, you know, my parents had given me regular bar soap. And so I had... Uh, I hadn't touched my, my bag of, of bar soap because I used shampoo. And my orientation guide, the, the girl that was assigned to me, that was supposed to teach me, I was not to be more than arm's length away from her at all times. Um, I could not speak to anyone except her and other orientation guides. Um, I was not allowed to speak to the other new students. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was a whole lot. Wow. So my, my orientation guide, she was apparently horrified at the thought of having a dirty new student. And it didn't matter what I said to them. You know, it didn't matter that I showed them the bottle that said it was body wash. I became the dirty student. I was the dirty student. I was gross. Um, Debbie gave me my first 10 swats that day. And she, she took me back upstairs and said, okay, well now you're going to shower and you're actually going to get clean. And I'm standing there and I'm going, I, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm already clean. I don't understand. You know, I was extremely naive. I, I had no real sense of the world as a normal 13 year old would, because I had been so sheltered from all of the stuff. And I, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I really, I didn't understand. You know, I, I didn't understand how I could still be dirty when I washed. But she was screaming at me. And as I was washing my body, and, you know, I, I turned around to make sure I was getting everything. And I saw bruises already forming. Oh, my God. And I told her, and she said, well, good. Maybe you'll realize now that it's, you know, not good to be dirty or, or something like that. It was just really dismissive. And that really set the tone for the next two years. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she made me her personal scapegoat for two years i could not say anything right i couldn't do anything right um i was labeled a bad kid i think i was on orientation for a good 13 out of the 0.8 months that i was there mm -hmm. and I had, I was on silence 
for a while. I wasn't allowed to talk to anybody but employees. Um, it, it, they, they made me carry around, you know, those little stools that you can get at Walmart that are like maybe 12 inches up off the ground. Mm-hmm. They're plastic ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking about. They called those baby stools. And people that they labeled babies had to carry them around. Because they were babies. They they couldn't sit like a regular person at the table. They couldn't sit like a regular person in church or at school. Or, or Bible study or movie night or whatever the hell it was. You, mm-hmm. you take your pick. You had to sit on the baby stool. And <laughs> I had that baby stool for probably four months. Wow. And, and just to add insult to injury, they made a necklace out of empty soap boxes and yarn. And I had to wear that for, I can't even tell you how long. I don't know how long. I don't remember. Wow. Um, they called it my soap box ne- soap necklace. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was degrading. They, and they, they did it. They, they did it to feel the power, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it was... It was... Hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't even say that there was anything else about it. I... I had to write the word hateful 5,000 times. They liked making people write lines, too. Mm-hmm. Anything. Um, one of them was... Oh, God. Let me see if I can remember it. While I am a student of Mountain Park Academy, I will show the proper respect to the staff, the visitors, and my parents, or I understand that I will face consequences, or something like that. That's, that's gross. That's disgusting. And I mean, and, and that was, you had to write that a hundred times, or two hundred times, or whatever. And I spouted off when I was single for 2.5 seconds or they said I spouted off and and that's why I had to write the word hateful 500 times what was it 5,000 times let me tell you the word hateful takes up a half of a spiral notebook when you write it 5,000 times holy crap to this day I can't I cannot stand that word I, I cannot that is the one word that I cannot will not 
use ever. Well, I think because you, I, I just think, yeah, I think you've got the right <laughs> to not use that word. Holy crap! I'm just I'm sitting here in just horror listening to this. And you were eleven when this happened. I was thirteen when I got there. I had just had my thirteenth birthday. Wow. Um, and I was there until right after my fifteenth birthday. And when my mom, <laughs> we had a student, uh, this is going to be another trigger warning. Yeah, um, trigger. We had a student that was, that was murdered while I was there. And the brainwashing was so complete that we went and stood up for the school at the courthouse. Well, I mean, considering the abuse that you were going through at the time, it's no wonder you had, you were terrified that the abuse was going to get worse if you said anything. That that makes total sense. And and honestly, that's really one of the things I think that um, that was going through my brain was, <laughs> you say something and, and it's going to come back on you. Mm-hmm. We had CPS out to the school three times. Um, once. I want to say before, but I don't think it was before. So it had to have been after, after Will, and and then they came back a couple of times. Somebody, and I still to this day don't know who it was, and I wish I did so that I could at least thank them for trying to look out for me. Mm-hmm. Somebody told the CPS employees that hey, this girl is is being treated like absolute shit. Mm-hmm. Like, they, there is just, there's no getting around that. They're treating her like crap. Because they called me back into the interview room and they tried to get me to say something, but I was so afraid of the retribution from either the staff or my parents that I didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I just... I. No, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I, you know, no one does anything. I don't know why they'd say that. And that was, oh, excuse me. That was, God, Will died in 96. So I stayed there another year after that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it never got any better. (laughs) Now, you know, we could we could dwell on, you know, the high control environment that you were in, you know, uh, for for that part of your childhood for those two years. Uh, you know, we could uh, probably spend another two hours talking about all the, the crap that you've had to face. Uh, but yeah. I guess I, what I'd like to know is you have been in therapy your whole life. I believe you said that earlier. Um, yeah, on and off. Yeah. OK. Are you currently in therapy? Um, ish. Ish. <laughs> well, the reason, so, the reason that I asked that is because I know you've been diagnosed with several mental spicy versions of your brain. Um, yes. At what point did you get diagnosed with those? And how did you being in such a high control environment, do you, how, how do you feel it affected um, your issues? 
so I was first diagnosed in, oh God, I think it was, it was 2000, it, 99, 2000, I was uh, 17, 17 or 18. I had gone from the high strict environment of the boarding school when my mom brought me home, I wound up going into public school mm-hmm. because there wasn't a slot open at an a- appropriate church school. Mm-hmm. So I went from, you know, far, far, far right, absolute chaos. Yeah. I did not know which way to turn. <laughs> and I, I think that had a lot, I, I was very depressed at that point, because I was, but I didn't know it, mm-hmm. but I was, like, I had to learn everything about the world from a child that was four years younger than I was, mm-hmm. and and so, when it came to the mental spicy versions, um, and again, this is, this is another, another trigger warning, and it's, it's a fairly big one, um, I started cutting because I couldn't get, I could, I did like I couldn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I was there was never any feeling. It was always anger. There was never happy. It was always anger or anger or or just yeah, anger. That was about it. You know, and it was just there's there's no. No, there was no in between. And I started cutting. And for a while, my friends were trying to kind of, you know, it was, it was hidden. Um, and as the depression got worse, it started, you know, creeping in and creeping in and creeping in. And I couldn't, I didn't have the tools to fight it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I wound up really, <laughs> like before it had just been, you know, just scratches or, or, you know, whatever. And my senior year, going into my senior year, I just said, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I wrote I wrote a whole letter to my best friend in high school. I wrote, you know, a letter to my parents and I was just like, I'm I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I wound up my best friend called me that night. And this was I mean, I had written the letter. I had tried calling her before, but she hadn't answered. And then I guess in this, you know, at this point, she, that we had caller ID, like that was a thing. And so she, she called me back and she was talking to me and, you know, she could hear me basically sobbing on the other end of the phone. And, um, she was like, what, what is wrong? 
And I, I finally, I just, I told her everything. I said, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know what is wrong with me, but I don't want to do this anymore. I cannot live with these demons fighting in my brain. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was, it was a catalyst because my mom took me to see a therapist. The therapist diagnosed me with, uh, it was called manic depressive mm-hmm. back then. Um, started me on medicine, which helped some. Um, and it, it was peaceful for a while. You know, there was medication here, medication there, you know, trying different ones. And, and, and my brain was kind of quiet for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, again, back then, when I got pregnant for the first time, we didn't, they didn't really know what the effects of the medication were on unborn babies. So I stopped taking the medication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not awesome, huh? No, no, that wasn't good. There was, there were a lot of other factors in that whole depressive period, but, um, yeah, that was just not a good time. And it, it, I mean, that just, you know, what year are we in now? 20 years. Mm -hmm. And it's been in a therapy, out of therapy. I wasn't actually formally diagnosed with, ADHD and anxiety as well as the bipolar until just a few months ago Mm -hmm. um, is when I finally got an official ADHD and PTSD diagnosis, which PTSD was, I guess, renewed. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's the right word to call it, but like heightened maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, recently and I'm seeing now a psychologist for meds, mm-hmm. but she doesn't really do a whole lot of therapy. So I've been trying to find a therapist, but in the area in which I live, um, there's a lot of people, and so wait lines, wait, you know, it's very, very long wait list. So it's it's kind of maddening, actually, Yeah, because well, we, I can't. We definitely don't have the type of mental health coverage that we need in this country, that's for sure. No, hell no. No, not even remotely close. Not even remotely close. And it's so frustrating because as a parent, you know, I see my kids needing services and I can't get it for them. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Or if I get it for them, they they only do, for instance, um, my, my oldest, two out of the three of mine have ADHD. Mm-hmm. As well as, you know, other versions of mental spiciness. And my oldest 
was on a well-controlled um, cocktail of medicines when we were in Texas. And then when we moved here, it, it all went haywire. So it's... It, um... Gosh, I just... His doctor will not prescribe stimulant medications for ADHD. Oh, wow. And like, not? she's like... Yeah, she she will give him... I think he's on Stratera now. That's, that's what I'm on right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, she was like, oh, well, you know, we don't, we don't do stimulants here. And I'm like, um... But that's what works for him. So, I, and of course, now this is 18, it's even more difficult to try to sit down and talk to the doctor. Mm -hmm. It is insane to look at the Okay. It's it's incredibly difficult to look at mental health coverage in this country as an individual and then it's even worse as a parent because us as adults we kind of have a grip on what we need but our our kids don't have that type of focus to be able to not necessarily control themselves, but I guess walk themselves through the hardest parts. Mm -hmm. We need better mental health in this country. We need more availability than, oh, um, yeah, I'm sorry, but I don't have any openings until... You know, three months from now. Right. Because three months from now, you may not still be with us. Yeah. That, that, and that was, you know, one of the biggest things, especially for me specifically, is that my mental health has been in stages. Oh, don't fall. In stages where I don't know if I'm going to make it to the next day. Mm-hmm. And I spend a lot of time... You know, just going, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. Because that's the only thing. And I'll be 100% candid, I'm at the place now, and I have been, I've had really, and I have been not well. Mm -hmm. Um, I am trying to get a hold of my doctor but there are no my next appointment is not till the 26th and it is so and terrifying even as an adult to be on this end of it and be struggling so bad Mm -hmm. and 
you know, I've, I've been, I rely on my husband so much. It's even points where, like, I look at him and I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> I don't want to look at you. Like, I don't want to do anything. And he knows, and I don't admit it to him, but he knows that a lot of times that's when I'm struggling the most. Um, and so he's, he really does help. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to get, you know, I'm sitting here struggling as a person that is 100% cognitively aware of something being wrong. But I, I can't get I, I can't get anyone to help. Mm-hmm. And that that's that's I don't like this spicy. <laughs> <laughs> it's frustrating and it's hard to know where to turn. It really is. You know, and and my mom, she must have figured something out at some point. She got her doctorate in business administration. And then she went on to get her specialty in health. What was it? She got a doctorate in business administration with a specialty in mental health and health services or something like that. And so she had to have realized how awful mental health was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, nothing, nothing that she did was able to make any kind of change. And she ran the health department. And she still was unable. So it's... I mean, I can't even... <sighs> well, I know this is very difficult for you to dig back up. And I'm hoping that... Kind of vomiting all of this out is, is a way that you can help process this stuff I hope it's not making it any worse for you and I definitely apologize for you know pulling all of this stuff out <laughs> of you I know it's rough but I appreciate you being willing to talk about this sort of thing because this is important for, for the people who listen to this podcast to know that you know other people have gone through this too what you're feeling you're not alone I promise and, yeah and, and that's, that's it's helpful you know it, it's helpful to talk about it and it's helpful to hear about it. People don't talk about it enough. You know, nobody... People don't talk about mental health enough. No, they don't at all. And it's, it's so frustrating. So frustrating. Yeah. It, it really is. Because it shouldn't be like this. Mm -mm. It shouldn't be like this. 
you know, there, there's got to be, and, and I don't expect there to be immediate perfection, you know, mm-hmm. because mental health professionals are burnt out. And that's a lot of the problem that I think is facing the mental health profession is that they are just burnt out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's so much. I, I don't think any of us can argue that there hasn't been an insanely radical amount of changes over the last 35, 40 years. You know, we've gone from <laughs> we've gone from VHS and eight tracks and cassette tapes to digital Blu-ray and auxiliary cords. <laughs> I mean, excuse me, there is no end to not only the developments that we've made as a culture, mm-hmm. but the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the difficulty coping with it that has come along. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, that you see on Facebook all the time. Thank God there were no cell phone cameras when we were kids. Right. Because that's really it. When we were growing up, you know, if you had a problem with the bully at school, you dealt with it at school. Mm-hmm. Like there was a meeting between the parents and the principal, and it was dealt with, and it was dealt with effectively. You know, and now... It doesn't just stop it. It's it's online. It's constant. It is never ending. And there is no break from the constant barrage of intrusiveness that is a result of social media and, I mean, just life now. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, as a child of someone that worked in mental health and as someone who's going into it myself, I, I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm pushing it. I know I am. But, you, but if I'm able to give even one person an outlet that I so desperately needed, mm-hmm. then I've done my job. Well, honestly speaking, people who've gone through it make the best counselors because they know how to get through it, if that makes sense. So I think you're doing oh, absolutely, right And I, I 100% support you in this. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate that. I My entire plan was to do nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I wanted... When I finally figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up, <laughs> you know, I just I decided to go into nursing, mm-hmm. and I found out 
because I dicked around the first time I went through college, I found out that I was not going to be able oof, I was not going to be able to get in because of my grades. Mm-hmm. And my GPA was like at one point nothing. Oh my god. So it was it, yeah, it was oh god, I dicked around so bad, it was awful. <laughs> so I had to go to the community college to get you know, to complete all my gen ed courses so that I could get into this this special nursing school that I wanted to get into. And of course, you know, while I'm in my gen ed classes, I make friends. Mm-hmm. Which is really odd considering that I'm, you know, twice their age and have children their age. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it all lined up really well because I got hurt in October and I, there's no way I can physically be a nurse. There, I, I physically, I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. I, there's no way that I could do it anymore. And I remembered that one of my friends was going for social work. It, real. I realized that I being a nurse, an actual like hands-on medicine giving, IV administering nurse terrified the ever-living crap out of me because I didn't want someone's death to be at my hands because I forgot which line went where mm-hmm. and and that, that was that was a catalyst and I realized that not only did I not want to do that but I preferred the the talking side. I wanted to be I realized that social work and being there for someone in time of a crisis but you know not having quite literally their their life in my hands mm-hmm. was more up my alley. And it's scary. You know, I, I never thought that I would be going to school at the age of 40 mm-hmm. to start over. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you got to do that in your life, though. Sometimes starting over is the is the best course for you. And, and God knows I'm not doing it for money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, being a full time student pays so much. <laughs> yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Um, as far yeah. as as far as your uh, spicy various brands of spiciness, um, what are your coping mechanisms outside of therapy and medication? And these coping mechanisms, did they develop naturally or are they something that you thought about and worked through? Or, um, you know, did they happen when you were a child that you were dealing with something you weren't aware that you had yet? Or is this something that came along uh, as you got a little older? So the first thing that I ever noticed was a coping mechanism was water. Uh-huh. Um, whether the beach, whether the pool, um, I preferred the beach. I always have. 
uh, I am most happy when I'm sitting with my butt in the sand and feet in the water, and I can just listen to the waves, and it is soothing and centering, and it is one of the absolute best coping mechanisms that I have ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also an adrenaline junkie, and this has actually helped when it comes to cutting, because I think a lot of cutting is searching for adrenaline or searching for the endorphins to give you that come from adrenaline, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I'm a roller coaster junkie. Same <laughs> <laughs> part. After my husband and I got married, um, we started going to like Bush Gardens in Virginia and that's when I started to realize that, hey, I could go ride roller coasters and, st- and, and get the same, the same rush, you know? And, uh, but of course, <laughs> with a husband who's brand new in the army and a brand new baby, it, there is no money for, like, passes. And so we wound up actually not being season pass holders to anywhere until, gosh, um, until we moved to Texas. So that was a coping mechanism that I didn't really get to utilize. Mm-hmm. Um, I will read for hours. And I'll read the same books 17 times. I don't care if I've read it 83 times and I just finished it. I will read it again. Because they become... They're, they're like your comfort items. Like somebody can sit and watch The Office for the 15th time or the 25th time or whatever because it's your comfort show. It's your it's your comfort media. Yep. You don't have to um, think about it too hard because you know what's going to happen and that's the comforting part. Yeah. I, uh... <laughs> so, when I was at boarding school, we were not allowed to watch popular movies. Mm-hmm. Um... There was even some some Disney that we weren't allowed to watch. Mm-hmm. But they were very into, like, all the, the classic, you know, black and white, early color, um, 50s and 60s type. To, well, really, 50s. Like, Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I got to the point where... Those were my comfort space. Because even though I learned of them at boarding school, I still knew every word. I still knew every everything because we've watched them 73 billion times. Right. And I learned how to crochet, which doesn't always help because I get frustrated. Um... Yeah, uh, coping mechanisms, they come and they go. They're not always the same. Mm-hmm. So but the one that... So yours kind of come and go. You're, I, I've, I've actually never heard that before because typically when you get a coping mechanism, you kind of hang on to it with <laughs> for dear life. Usually, yeah. Usually it, um, it works or not. <laughs> it, like I said, you know, the, the biggest one for me has always been water. 
you know, and if I'm not near water, that's when I'll try to seek out something else. Mm-hmm. But water, specifically like the beach, the ocean, you know, waves, that rhythmic crashing is the most soothing thing on the planet for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, you know, honestly, uh, everything else that has come and gone, I don't even know that I would really call it a coping mechanism because, I, you know what, I don't know. I don't even know that I've stopped to think about what I really do to cope. Mm-hmm. Because it's always just been go, 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 go. And if you're having a hard time, go harder. Mm-hmm. That That is a coping mechanism, though. That's a way to disassociate. Oh, well, yeah, then we'll go there. <laughs> it's one of the biggest things that I heard at boarding school was suck it up and drive on. Yeah, that is definitely a coping mechanism. Uh, it's not a healthy one, but it is definitely one. No, no, definitely not. It's definitely a common one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you, you, everybody has coping mechanisms. It's just, just like you said, sometimes you don't realize what they are because um, you haven't sat there long enough to realize, oh, I'm doing this so that I don't feel bad, you know, or I'm doing this eating. to avoid the feeling. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Eating. Oh my God. Eating. Eating is one of oh. them as well. <laughs> yeah. And it's one that I'm, I'm really trying to break with because it becomes eating out of boredom, eating out of spite, eating because feelings you know and and that's that that's not a healthy relationship to have with food in general so i've started trying to switch it to like okay if i'm gonna eat let me munch on granola right or you know something that's that's not full of sugar or full of you know whatever and then trying not to deny myself the sugar at the same time my god why is health so crazy (laughs) Uh, why were we not? I mean, it is, you know, you, you get so used to, to, well, you got to do this to be healthy or you got to do that to be healthy, you know, or, you know, don't eat this or eat this or, and, and, oh, you can't eat that anymore. And it's like, um, I need y'all to, to like stick with something here because y'all told me to eat this. So I found ways to cook this that I like this. And now y'all are telling me I can't eat that because of this. Like, make up your mind. So, I try, one of my biggest things is, like, I'll eat sporadically throughout the day. And then when it comes to dinner, you're not supposed to have dinner be your biggest meal. But I'll make it my biggest meal, or that'll be all I eat. And, you know, I'll eat a giant portion of, like, a steak Mm -hmm. and mashed potatoes. And a vegetable, but I'm trying to now switch it to where things are healthier. So instead of instant mashed potatoes, you know, I'll make them homemade. Instead of like canned green bean or canned corn or, you know, canned whatever, we make like asparagus or Brussels sprouts or broccoli. And, um, 
it's it's made a difference. It really has. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only is it better, like more delicious. Because have you ever had air fried Brussels sprouts? No, I have. Oh not. my god, I've heard they're good. <laughs> oh, okay. So I quarter them, toss them in olive oil, salt, and pepper, throw them in the air fryer. So good. Oh wow. Yeah, really, really good. <laughs> um, but we'll do that. And I guess I'm kind of tricking myself because. Hey, look at me. I'm eating healthy stuff, but I'm not changing my portion size. Mm-hmm. So it's it's strange when you start to think about what could my coping skills possibly be when you realize, oh, that's what that is. <laughs> so, yeah. It's um it's an interesting it's an interesting feeling mm-hmm. when you realize, but uh, now, oh God! Now, one one thing I do want to know is, as far as as far as remembering your trauma, um, for me specifically, and I don't know if this works for everybody else, but for me specifically. ADHD makes it extremely difficult for me to remember specific details of my trauma as I was growing up. Oh, that was thunder. If you heard that, I apologize. Oh, wow. Um, so um, ADHD has made it very difficult to remember a lot of my trauma. And I was curious if, uh, if you found the same thing to be the case uh, in your case. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure if it's ADHD or if it's I just completely blocked it out because I didn't want to remember a lot of parts of it. Um, I belong to a very large group of women and some men that were also students at the same boarding school. Most... Um, at the same time, but, you know, some before, some after. Mm-hmm. And when we, when people would share stories about their time, um, you know, my, my name has been brought up several times, and I'm just, I'm sitting here and I'm going, uh, what, what, what was the, like, what? Yeah. Um. What, what do you What do you mean? What do you mean this? You know, I I don't I don't I don't have any any memory of that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. None. And they're like, yeah, you know, X Y Z. Wow. Or or I have pictures of myself with people there. Mm-hmm. And these people are in the group. And I literally have no recollection of them outside of that picture. Wow. And I'm just like, I... A lot of the details that I know now have been relayed and filled in from others. <coughs> I don't know. Go. 
if it's PTSD or ADHD or all of the above, but it's, it's crazy to have your memories filled in by somebody else. Yeah. They're, they're your memories. Why why don't you remember them? Why don't you have them? There should be files away can... somewhere where you can get to them. And then I, I start to feel crazy because I, you know, did this, am I imagining this? Like, did this really happen? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've made comments about certain things. And the reason I get so... I guess fixated on boarding school is because that that is the the formative it's almost like I I have my 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 life in folders. Mhm. I I'm, you know I have my my early childhood filed away in one folder and that's just put away. It's put away. You know, it's Up until, you know, a couple years ago, I felt like I had that very neatly filed away and taken care of, and it was good. You know, we were good. Mm-hmm. But I've never been able to resolve the boarding school issue. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've, I've never... The, it's, Go ahead. Yeah. The memories are just... I've never wanted to bring up the memories of my early childhood, but the memories of boarding school, I want to remember them because I want to understand why. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that I, as a 13-year-old child, could have possibly done to, to warrant that. that treatment? Exactly. Well, what in hell on this planet? I am not a medical professional and I am not your therapist, but I can tell you as a person, you did nothing to deserve that. You absolutely did nothing to deserve that. And I hope that one it, day you can convince been, yourself of that. I mean, intellectually, I get it. You know, and intellectually, I'm like, you didn't do anything. That was on them. But then intellectually and in your heart are two very different things. Yeah. Intellectually and able to yeah. deal are two different things. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's very much, um, you know, what the hell kind of spicy, just why, just mm-hmm. why there's, there's nothing besides why that is the biggest thing in my brain is why, why, why would you, as an adult, a fully grown, fully functioning parent of teenagers yourself. Why would you treat a child like that? Right. There's no excuse and, for and, it. You know, it wasn't like, which no one deserved it. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of the other girls and, and boys were in there for, you know, drugs and and like grand theft auto and and you know a lot of other sorted things that you know of course now we look at it and we're like okay yeah you might have needed some help but maybe not that far Mm -hmm. 
But I was a naive 13-year-old that had no idea what the hell was going on in the world. The worst thing I did was steal some damn chapstick from the Publix. Why? Mm-hmm. But I guess there's, there's, I, I won't get an answer for that. And that's what I have to come to terms with. Right. You know, the, the biggest cause of my PTSD and my anxiety, I will never get an answer for mm-hmm. because they don't believe they did anything wrong. Yeah. Which I still believe is bullshit. I, I think they 100% knew what they were doing, but. I, I don't, I will never get, never, I will never get an answer for that. Mm-hmm. Never. And I, and I do hope that you are working through that or can work through that because that is definitely something that you need to transition through, you know? It's, it's gotten to the point where it's just kind of one of those things that I've tucked into a wing and, and gone on mm-hmm. um well let me ask you this um <laughs> i know you didn't have a, a really good support system when you were a kid because you said your mom had issues and and was working all the time and you were a latchkey kid so your support system was not there what is your support system like now and how is that affecting your life so now i have i mean obviously i have my husband um, I have some really, really, really good friends, um, both in real life and friends that I've met, you know, through Facebook. Um, I now have a therapist that I'm trying to get to on a regular basis. Um, I've Yeah, I guess that's really it. Um it it in a in a very sad, almost ironic twist of events. Um after my mother passed away, my 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 aunt my my mom's only remaining sibling uh wrote us off. Um, she, she told me that we were too much and she didn't want to deal with it anymore. Mm -hmm. So she wrote us off. Um, I, and I, I have, I have some cousins that, you know, but they're not, they're friends. I love them, but I wouldn't necessarily call them support system. Mm -hmm. So... My my biggest support is going to have to be my husband and my my closest closest friends and the beach because I have the beach. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good that you have got somebody. It, it, you know, even if it's a small support system, at least you've got somebody who's there for you, and that's the important thing. And I hope you know um, that you've always, if you need to talk, you know where I am. You've got my number now, so. We're, we're good. Yes. There. So I'm going to go ahead and bring this on to a close, but Rebecca, thank you so much for spending your time 
talking about this. I know this was a really rough evening for you, and I, I definitely appreciate everything you've gone through to bring us your story. And I definitely, definitely want to have you back. I, I would 100% come back. Excellent. 100%. Excellent, excellent. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pull this to a close, but thank you so much, Rebecca, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks for having me. All right. And that was Miss Rebecca, and we definitely appreciate having her on the show, or having her on the podcast. Do you say on the show for a podcast like this? I Like, I don't know. Whatever. I'm from another time, so just don't pay attention to me. Uh, but we definitely thank Rebecca for being on the podcast, and thank you guys for listening this far. I know this has been some really uh, difficult stuff to listen to, uh, but it's necessary for people to know that you're not alone. Um, other people are going through what you've gone through. I promise um, you are not alone in your struggle and you're loved and you're worth it and you are important and you need to know that. And we're going to call this an evening. We're going to see you hopefully next week. I've got some good guests lined up for next week as well. And thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.